Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Podcast. You can hear us live on Joy 94.9, Saturday afternoon from 5pm, via the live stream at joy.org.au forward slash listen live, or tune your wireless in Melbourne to 94.9 FM. One, two, three, four! Use it, break it, fix it, trash it, change it, nail it, create it, change the point it, to me, press it, snap it, work it, cook it, erase it, write it, cut it, paste it, save it, load it, check it, quickly it, write it, plug it, play it, burn it, rip it, drag it, drop it, zip it, zip it, lock it, fill it, call it, find it, view it, code it, jam it, lock it, surf it, scroll it, pause it, click it. That's right, getting out geek on here on TechnoGaze on Joy 94.9, the show where we gaze into the world of consumer electronics, gadgets, and technology. Get I left my geek at home. What? <laughs> you never leave your geek at home. Look at that T-shirt you're wearing. That's definitely yeah. geek. My Akihabara one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, that is, of course, uh, the voice of um, Michael. Hello, Michael. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And we also have on the line, it's the old gang back together again. for Because we, um, we love this Woo. trio, don't we? Yeah. Uh, Raina, Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, all the way over the other side of the ditch, of course. And um, and my name is Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello. <laughs> uh, yes, this chilly uh, Saturday evening. I don't know if we should talk about it anymore, but... It's not that cold. Oh, it will be tonight. Oh, it's very... like the town pastime, isn't it, for Melbourne, complaining <laughs> about how cold it is. <laughs> As I he- I've heard someone today saying, well, you know, it's winter. Why Why is everyone surprised? <laughs> I, I do like... It's been snowing here. <laughs> oh, really? really? Has it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless. Uh, 19 degrees, of course, in, in London, according to Gary Wilson, the uh, news reporter for this evening. Thank you, Gary, for being in the newsroom today. Oh. On Techno Gaze today... Uh, we're going to talk a bit about privacy and security. Um, there's the uh, a company. It's a company, isn't it? They they call themselves the hacking team. Have been hacked. Uh, yeah, pretty significant. And too. it's not pretty. Mm. It is not pretty. Mm. There's some um, Adobe Flash vulnerability that's uh, that's come to light as well, including and and also an SSL an open SSL uh, vulnerability that's that's come out just recently too. Lots of scary mm-hmm. stuff. Um, what else have we got? Uh, oh, we're going to continue on the gender and technology uh, theme with Lisa and Jason, uh, uh, the second part of that interview that Lisa did with Jason. We, we gave you the first half last week. Um, thought we'd uh, round that off this week. Um, what else have we got? Oh, the BBC Micro Bit. The uh, successor to the BBC Micro. Yeah, only, what, 25 years later? Something like that. <laughs> I was really surprised just before the show to realise that the BBC Micro was actually something produced by the BBC Corporation, as in the, 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 the very real. famous mm, that's know, right. British Broadcasting Corporation. The Beeb. Mm-hmm. Mm. We had Beebs at my school, even, so a lot of them came over to Australia. Yes. And uh, they were super. 
Mm. I thought so anyway. Mm. I, I never got to use mm. one myself. I was I started on the Apple III and the TRS-80 myself. But, you know, horses for courses, as they say. Um, now, the, oh, and one other thing we're going to talk about later on is uh, gender skewing in advertising. So, um, particularly in the in roles that are advertised, as in job roles, and assumptions that are based on colour and skin colour, I presume, and gender. In, yeah, indeed, and it's sort of a bit of a follow-on from uh, the story that uh, Lisa's been going through the last few weeks. Yes, yes. Now, if you wish to contact us while we're in the studio here, you can do so by uh, calling us, one three hundred joy 949 I think Heath is... I was about to stand up, but that would take me away from the microphone. Uh, Heath, Heath, has, Heath is not there. Oh, well, uh, where is he? But there is somebody else there, but I don't know oh. his name. So, um, you still can call in <laughs> and somebody lovely will answer your call. We're, we, we're very prepared here. You can also text us 0427JOY949. Uh, you can email us on air at mm. joy.org.au. And uh, I think... Get on Twitter. Yep, get on Twitter if you want. How do you do that? At Technogaze. At Technogaze, T-E-C-H-N-O-G-A-Z-E. <laughs> <laughs> we can have it get twice. Get around it. <laughs> Yes, or Facebook, facebook.com slash technogazejoy949. Um, it's a f- uh, we just posted a lovely photo of um, this brochure that was left with us today, thanks to the other newsreader, Tim Lennox. Um, yeah, he was cleaning up at home and he came across this and he said, oh, maybe you'd like this. And it's, uh, yes, taking us back to 1985 as well. Actually, it's the same year as the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> he's, um, he's got a lot of nostalgia, that Tim Lennox. Yes, and a lot of rubbish in his house, but sounds of things. <laughs> Bring it in. Uh, we'll take photos of it and post it up on Facebook. Now, shall we move on to the show? Yes. Uh, British Prime Minister David Cameron wants to ban strong encryption. What? <laughs> All of it. All of it. All the strong encryption. Just get rid of it. That's what he wants. Let's not have any encryption. I'm sure the banking system will work really well. Mm. Yeah, all that lovely e-commerce that people want to do. What a dope. What a dope. Um, like, he's sort of... You can see what he's trying to do. You know, he's like, oh, terrorism, oh, scary people, blah, blah, blah. But, um, no. Yeah, Thank it, you. It doesn't really no. work, does it, when it actually stops legitimate business uh, from from, you know, doing its thing if if you say oh this level of encryption is no longer illegal or or we we require this back door to be put in in place which is kind of it in itself doing that act defeats the purpose of the encryption mm. uh you know what 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 is the end game here like what are they trying to achieve it's it's like they just think it's you know government against tech i don't think this has been thought out very well i think it's well, a off the cuff remark Mm. I, I, I do like that uh, Apple of um, yeah. You know, oh, that, I, oh, and uh, Rainy there? No, sorry. <laughs> I, I am here. What were you going to say, Raina? Ah, uh, I think I think I think it's really weird. Like it, it sounds like it would be off the cuff, but the thing is, that was a response to a question in Question Time in Parliament, mm. and it's not even the only time that he's said this. He's said this before in the past he said oh yeah all encryption bad very bad we ban all the encryption it's like bro hasn't anyone told you yet yeah well, but that's like, it. i'm it's not sure that it's actually off the cuff i think he's just a bit of a dope really but you'd think he's have advisors then to pull him back well i guess if he said it several times why haven't they spoken to him or done something yeah you'd mm. think so yeah um totally idiotic idea um you know it's it's not surprising it comes from the conservative side of politics so perhaps I don't know. I think um, 
perhaps There's anyone's... a bit of a push from mm. uh, multiple sides. Mm. Yes. Okay, now, uh, what about this one? Scientists have created a hologram that you can actually touch. Tell me about this one. Yeah. This is pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. So, it... it it is. It's um. It's sort of like a, a hologram in in midair. It's made by lasers, sort of intersecting and forming a hologram by concentrating the beams in the air, and the air gets heated and ionized, so it glows. It becomes plasma. Plus, um, obviously, you know, if you interrupt a laser beam, then it knows that you've put your finger there, so it sort of knows what you're touching, and you're not. You you're kind of touching some very hot air, but you're not really touching an object. So that's how um, come you can, can feel it. You a, because you're touching. Well, the yeah, hot that air. and. Well, yeah, that and you're touching some superheated air, which will burn you. So probably don't put your finger on it for too long. But if you give it a nice little tap or something, it can detect that something is going on. Give you a little, you know, like it can turn a, an empty checkbox into a checked checkbox or or something like that. Now they've used a special laser, a very very short laser, and which is measured in a unit of time that I've never heard of before, the femtosecond, which apparently is one quadrillionth of a second. Ah. Uh. Which, wow. which is why this show goes for 3.6 by 10 to the 18th power yeah. femtoseconds, which is one hour. <laughs> if you're a Facebook follower... You would count that, wouldn't you? <laughs> one, one thousand, two, one thousand. <laughs> you might have noticed the post that was posted in Facebook, uh, and that is a reveal right there. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> now, you're, this is Technogate here on Joy 94.9, where we're covering some of the latest in tech, consumer electronics, gadgets... Uh, anything that goes beep, silicon, etc. We'll be back with more in a few moments. Technogaze. Talking tech here on Technogaze, and uh, this is the hacking segment. <laughs> what a, what a, um, you know, now that we've sort of talked about certain governments uh, wanting to bring away encryption or take it away from us, uh, there's a hacking team in Milan. Uh, sorry, there's a team of people, a company, in fact, called the Hacking Team. Uh, based in Milan. Yes. They're not very well liked, they? do are pretty they? much... Not at the moment. And and they do pretty much all the sorts of things that you'd think a security team ought to do. Uh, you know, penetration testing and all that sort of stuff, but quite a few other gross things besides. They sell a product called uh, RCS, which is their remote control system product, that um, allows to turn on microphones and smartphones remotely and oh, things yeah. like that, and they sell it to governments around the world. Yeah, and um, I think... Including, turns out, maybe Australia. Yeah. They've had a few... Allegedly. Well, they've had a few sales meetings with Australian uh, law enforcement agencies. I don't think there's any official confirmation whether we've bought or not bought. Mm. I love the fact that, um, so in, in total, 415 gigabytes of data has been leaked online due to this hack, and their own Twitter feed has been used to actually disseminate that data. So, it sounds like they've been completely Oops. owned. Yeah, I um, and I wonder why, because, you know, their internal software, uh, sorry, not software, their internal security procedures you'd think would be fairly robust <laughs> being a, a hacking company. Well, I was actually reading the, the article and um, it, it talked about a particular uh, key person who's um, stored his passwords for various logins in like a, a, a text file called login.txt. That... And the passwords themselves are really easily hackable. So, you know, things like password with an at in, instead of the, um, the a. a and, and an O instead of the R. Grown. You know. Yeah, it's like, uh, is this really like the top-notch security firm that's used by governments all around the world? Like, 
really? I mean, I've been known to do that for temporary, you know, mm. just tiny little sort of snippets of things, but not, not for... A permanent password. Yeah, like, that's ridiculous. It's um, interesting. It's I, wonder, I wonder who's hacked them. <laughs> well, they, uh, the name of the person, there was... Oh, it wasn't actually a name of a person. It was some... I, th- I think it was just a, a, a yeah, a pseudonym. Yeah. There's, oh. there, look, there have been a lot of complaints. Phine- Phineas Freaker, wasn't it? <laughs> Phineas, Phineas Fogg. <laughs> <laughs> Phineas Freaker. There's, uh, yeah. You know, one, one of the things um, is that, you know, the software that they, that they um, sell also can gather your WhatsApp conversations and web connections and stuff like that. And they're selling, and they're selling. You know, some of their customers are those countries that have got really bad uh, human rights records. Hmm. Mm. A, it's surprising because, um, particularly the mention of WhatsApp conversations, um, that's often been that's been cited as one of the more secure uh, chat platforms around. Oddly enough, even though it's owned by by Facebook, apparently it's it's quite a secure um, platform. In in that it was built by originally by someone who came from the Soviet Russia. Uh, era mm. and um, and uh, has is very much aware. Well, well, yeah. At that point in time, was quite aware, and they've also made steps recently to include a, um, a PGP option for emailing uh, uh, users through okay. WhatsApp as well. So, um, the fact that that is one of the apps that this particular hacking company can use to or can can get into is is quite surprising. I think. I think it's a little bit like, you know, having a keyboard locker logger on your computer and no matter how secure it is, mm. if you're inside the, the smartphone itself already, yeah. then you know, yeah. we can get to anything. Yeah. Yeah. Now also mm. on um ha- on hacking and so forth, uh, Adobe has confirmed a flash vulnerability uh, found yes. via the hacking team leak, in fact. So uh, the same leak has actually um, made some public information around what might be wrong with your Adobe Flash installation. So the hacking team, the company that sells this software, knew about the vulnerability and was obviously using it to their advantage. Yes. <laughs> and that's how come And now everybody else can too. <laughs> Yay. So th- this is quite serious. It's a pro- there's a proof of concept that's roaming around the, uh, the interwebs um, that makes use of this exploit. Uh, it's a Flash file that is able to open uh, on a Windows computer calc.exe, which is a pretty benign app in right. itself. But the fact that it can open that app is like actually just cause it, it to what, just it can run in executable. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty, yeah. pretty dangerous. Like that's, that's It is. And there's the, this isn't the only vulnerability that they found. So there was another vulnerability that they found in Windows. Now, this, this flash vulnerability is for any platform. But specifically to this one in, in Windows, there's another vulnerability that lets people get admin privileges. So oh. if you've got both of those vulnerabilities uh, at hand, then you can do some pretty evil stuff. Yeah. Um, Mm, flash. But, I mean, it, it, it seems like there's another Flash vulnerability every week anyway. So, of course, when I heard this, I was like, oh, here we go again. Mm. You, you often don't really think of Flash as being particularly um, particularly safe to use, do you? Like, it's, it's just it's assumed it's... It's full of holes. <laughs> mm. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's probably good that we're uh, all moving away from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Swiss cheese. Yep. Now, on the topic of, uh, of bugs, um, OpenSSL is uh, a, a sort of a, a, what would it be called? I guess it's a library of sorts that's used in, in many different uh, server packages and also client packages. Yeah. 
including all of that cryptography that David Cameron doesn't like very much. Um, <laughs> here, here is OpenSSL to sort of save the day or not. Um, but what happened was earlier in the week, they were all like, mm, we're going to announce something on Thursday. We can't really tell you what it is until we've written this this uh, bug patch. But uh, just, you know, get ready, prepare yourselves. <laughs> and uh, Thursday night or early Friday morning for us, they were like, yep, turns out that uh, there's a critical vulnerability that lets attackers sit in the middle and impersonate cryptographically protected websites, email servers and VPNs, which is a little bit creepy because it means that you can use your, um, you know, use your browser, see the nice little green bar or the little lock or whatever it is that your browser does mm. um, that says that you're safe when in fact it's uh, something else entirely going on. And that's the thing, it's like that trust uh, component of this. So, you always, you see that green thing in the in the browser bar and you go, okay, that's that's cool, there's nothing going on here, but it, it still um, can ent- entirely impersonate. And, uh, mm. and, and this is, so this is a type of vulnerability that a person has to be in the middle. So, you might, if you're connected through an ISP that may have been hacked in itself or, or they might have, um, you know, sysadmins that are, are not so... Um, um, rigorous in rigorous their security. In, yeah. Um, they yep. might be able to insert software that uses this vulnerability that then, um, you know, cha- takes the, the login details that you use to um, to log into your internet banking. Mm. I uh, wonder if... I mean, equally, if, if I had control of your host's file, what I could do is I could say, well, actually, www.westpac.com.au or whatever mm. um, actually goes to my dodgy-looking server. Um, your browser goes, oh, that sounds legit, goes there, gets a certificate that looks legit as well mm-hmm. um, and takes over it that way too. So um, it can be combined it, it, with... It would take a bit of effort. Yeah, it, it's like combining with multiple um, hacks to, to enable a... a, a mm. you know, access to the information. I wonder if anybody's checked the source code repository to see who wrote that bit of code and if it was somebody from GCHQ or not. <laughs> they did. I think it, it's been pinpointed exactly which um, bit of code had been uh, uh, had cause. caused it. Yeah. It was earlier in the year, uh-huh. this year, um, but I didn't look into the detail over... Because it, it's all through GitHub, right? So it's, it's this, all this stuff is, is, um, is, um, is tracked, which I guess is a good start. Um, it was reviewed by, I'm just looking at the notes now, reviewed by a person by the name of Dr. Stephen Henson, uh, Steve at OpenSSL.org, but the author of it was um, Matt Caswell, I think. I'm not, I'm not great at uh, reading, reading GitHub uh, <laughs> entries. <laughs> <but> <laughs> <laughs> the logs. Yes, I... I uh, and they all look like legit uh, names as well, which is interesting. But well, yeah, yeah but, but uh, there's no thought that it's a malicious bug, is it? Is there? No. Um, that's all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. We shouldn't probably research while we're on air. We should probably do that beforehand. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of interesting to think about because when we were talking about um, Heartbleed, you know, last year and everything, one of the big things that people were saying was, "How did this get through?" You know, it has so many people reviewing it and stuff, and it just seems again like someone's, you know, had a look, said, "Oh yeah, seems legit," and gone and clicked OK to commit it in, you know, merge it in with the rest of the code, and it, it's amazing how this keeps happening. Hmm. Isn't it? I don't think it'll ever stop, though. But that's you know that's the nature of complex code, isn't well, it? And and this is not necessarily a good thing for the open source community. But um, often it's cited or said that um, you know because the um, because software is open source, that is the the reason why it's secure. Because you know many eyes will find these bugs. 
in actual That's fact, assuming you've got many eyes. Yes. Well, yes. this is a problem. This vulnerability came out because of a, an existing exploit is out in the wild somewhere by used by a company. It just so happens that that company got hacked and therefore the, the information about the vulnerability got released. So... Um, you know, it it's it, there's all sorts of ways these these things can be. It's, it's compounding type scenario, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Now, um, well, <laughs> one more for the uh, for the um, other well, the tin <laughs> foil section. Files. Yes, that's right. I'm so glad we we don't write that sort of public visible type software. <laughs> <laughs> there's an app um, that's been found to delete Windows Update. On some Samsung PCs. Yeah, I think it's uh, probably all mm. Samsung PCs. As part of the Samsung, you know, supplied software, it turns off the software, the Windows Update function. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why would you want that? Um, because they've got their own software and they don't want, you know, silly old Microsoft updating software and, you know, possibly playing around with their very important Samsung stuff. Mm. I, I don't know what it is. It's just, you know, OEM junk, yes. OEM cruft. Um, I do love uh, their double speak around this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not true that we're blocking a Windows 8.1 operating system update on our computer. Yes, it is. That's exactly <laughs> what it's doing. It's part of part of their commitment to consumer satisfaction. We are providing our users with a, the option to choose if and when they want to update the Windows software. Maybe Microsoft have it in their best interest to to provide that, you know, to determine that, not Samsung, you know, like ah it has been mm. so much hard work for so long to tell everyone, our mums and dads, our friends and stuff like that, when the little thingy comes up that says there's an update, please do the update. You know, you can't leave, you know, months and months worth of updates because you're scared. Mm. You know, you've got to do the thing. And now here's Samsung going, uh -huh. no, bad and, idea. And what's worse, I, you know, there should be a big flashing sign on the computer saying, by the way, we've turned this off. You have to do this if you want to go get it. You are vulnerable. Because yeah. people don't know. That's... Yep. Mm. Crazy. Oh, Samsung. Oh, yeah, it's, it's often they, they, they try to do things on, like, like they, they're, they're selling this, these PCs with Windows, right? So you kind of expect that when you get a Windows PC, you get all the things that Win Microsoft are offering with that. Like, it's still there. It's I, still there. Just turn yeah, it off. It's, yeah. I, I can't imagine Microsoft would be too happy about that, though. Mm. I wonder if they have OEM status and if there's some sort of agreement that they might have to... Mm, yeah, well, everything. let's put it this way. If it's not in the current agreement, it will be in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jeez. Now, um, coming up in just a few moments, we'll be continue continuing on with the theme of women in tech. Last week uh, was part one of an interview with Jason, a teacher who works in the Catholic education sector for an all-girls school. Uh, we'll round that off uh, this week with part two of that interview. Jason will uh, share us his thoughts on the gender differences he observes in IT. This is Technogaze on Joy 94.9. Hi, I'm Lisa, and we're back talking about diversity and IT, in particular women's involvement in the IT industry. I've got Jason with me here today. Hello, Jason. Hello, Lisa. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where, where are you from? What do you do? I'm a high school teacher. I've been teaching this in my 11th year of teaching. I spent seven years at a government co-ed school in um, Melbourne's outer southeast. Now I work at a Catholic girls' school in the southeast. 
and um, my areas are like I've taught media studies in IT and I've been doing a lot of work in e-learning for the last few years and that's probably where I come here to talk to you about uh, you know young women in IT it's yeah it's a pretty interesting place to be. There's a lot of social pressures on both girls and boys but I'm wondering is there the type of social pressure on a girl to not get involved in IT is that seen as un- uncool I know uncool's not necessarily mm. the right word if you're of that age but is it does it have a negative kind of social status or uh, look I think you know people who get into programming are unique personalities anyway I mean <laughs> yeah. you find those kids who are kind of like who will come to the lunchtime thing boys or girls yeah um, personality types are often quite similar um so I'll interrupt again. Yeah. The fact that I think the fact that it's a lunchtime thing that it's not incorporated as part of their normal mm. studies, I think that would have a like serious that would affect how they how they look at IT in terms of it, it's it's not part of their normal studies. It's it's something extra that they have to sacrifice their lunchtime for. It's not part mm. of their general education like, you know, English or mathematics. That you know, like lots of people don't like English, lots of people don't like maths, but we're forced to do it, you know, up until year ten. Well, you know, IT is not a hard. You know, those those like you know, it used to be okay. So you got physics, chemistry, specialist maths, and all that sort of stuff. IT doesn't sit there. Even the programming subject doesn't sit there. I think those kids who have probably have the aptitude. That's why algorithmics is interesting because algorithmics is a really challenging subject. It's got this uni aspect to mm-hmm. it as well. Um, whereas I think IT doesn't sit there yet. Yes. So those girls who do have the aptitude will mostly be doing physics, chemistry, uh, and a couple of maths and maybe a language or something like that. So they also don't have a space for this subject that isn't, you know, because how old's IT in schools? It's really not very old. Yeah. 20, 25 years. Yeah. Um, programming. Whereas these other subjects have got a longer history. Mm. And um, that's what I found even when I went back, you know, because I came to teaching later. When I came in and saw what IT was in a school, I thought, oh, this is really interesting. It's a funny little subject that doesn't... It's like, it doesn't have a place. It's yeah. like suspended there. And it's... Because it, schools haven't quite caught up with the world no, in no, that way. I think that's very true. And also in terms of, like, prerequisites, which I find very hard to say, yeah. <laughs> um, that... You know, like you're saying, if someone's doing two maths and, and three science subjects, they don't physically have any room to actually incorporate mm. an IT subject. And often they want to do those three sciences in order to get into a particular course, whereas IT isn't so much of a prereq. Mm. It's, it's, it's already no. kind of specialised. And, and again, that's, that's the thing about where does it sit as a subject. But I think, you know, I've been to a few of these um, women in IT taking girls on those excursions. And it's really interesting to hear how not many of them do an IT degree and then go into the IT industry. A lot of them came in through accounting and these other things and then got interested in IT in the workforce. Yep. Um, and I think that there's something in that. You know, maybe double degrees for for girls are more um, might be more interesting. Yes. Or might be more enticing. Yep. Yep. I'm um, with you. Rather than just really going in. Um, to an IT degree. But, I mean, I also had ex-students who've gone in and done programming and that sort of stuff, and they've been, like, the only girl in the course. Yeah. And you've got to be a particular kind of person to 
to withstand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's true. Um, there was some. I've read some um, statistics when I was preparing for the interview, and they're American statistics. But out of um, computer science courses at uni in America, only seventeen percent are women. Mm. Which I was startled by, and they're saying that those stats are getting worse. That in um, in the nineteen eighties, the participation rate was something like thirty seven or thirty eight percent, and now it's dropped down to seventeen. I think the way it's taught as well, because with boys who want to do programming, you can just throw the facts at them, and they are going to. They, they generate their own engagement. Mm-hmm. They're really interested and they'll just hang on what you, and because they want you to tell them how it works and then they're going to try it out. Yep. Whereas I find with girls, it's it's like, here's how this is interesting and exciting. Yep. Now you've made part of your game, you know, because we scratch programming, so we make like a basic maze game and that's like, okay, how do you extend that? But in that, you've got to build a little bit of a... Um, Story. I mean, I, I talked to them about storytelling. I think boys will be more like they they get the underlying programming aspect of yeah. it much faster. Yeah. So they don't need the overlay of, of the story. Yeah, of the narrative. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult with these gender things because in some ways we're making generalisations, but in other ways we, we see these things exist there. You know, boys and girls think differently. Um, in as a generalisation. Yes, yeah. Um, and so I think that you do need to approach things a little bit differently in the way that you teach. Because it's about engagement. It's all about engagement. I mean, I think it's very interesting that year, at Year 7 level that there is something that involves programming. And, I mean, I don't teach in the school system, but wouldn't it be wonderful if they could keep on doing something in Year 8, Year 9, mm. Year 10... Mm. And so it's in their minds, not like something that they remember that they did in Year 7. Because I think there's something that happens when, when you look back and anything you did in Year 7 was kind of like babyish mm. and then they associate that not as real programming but I don't, I don't know what they do in their yeah. heads with it. Yeah. Whereas if it kept on going and it was it was just a constant thread in their educational um, each year, mm. I think they might look at programming differently and actually not be scared by the word programming i think as soon as you mention the word programming people kind of are in shock and, mm. and, and are scared of it as opposed to oh this is that fun thing yeah we we, we we keep on doing you could do more of that and it's called oh i'm sorry programming but there you yeah. go that's the word but like i was sort of saying alluding to before i think we need to think about how we're teaching and how we're engaging students um and the great thing is that girls present us with this challenge mm-hmm. of saying, how are you going to get us into this? And so we have to look at it because I think the way that we naturally kind of or, you know, instinctively um, teach these subjects. It's just not working. No, I don't think. I don't think. I think instinctive teaching works to a certain extent, but otherwise we'd all be writing everything down on the board and the kids would be writing it down and we'd be like, great, transaction done. But yep. that's not what education is anymore. No. Um, because the needs are different. We need problem solvers. We need creative thinkers. We need people who can put concepts together from different places. And, uh, I mean, kids still say to me, um, you know, is IT important in the workplace? And it's like, IT is in everything now. Yeah. You know, if you get into a job and you've got some ability 
then you'll be the person who's um, helping the web design project in, mm. in your uh, in the in your department or yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Doing. Whether you're an accountant, a chemist, um, you're in a retail, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important to have those those skills of being able to understand what's going on in the background. I think part of the thing is that like both boys and girls, when they're you know they've been very sheltered in that school life, that mm. they've actually got very little understanding of what it's like to be out there in the workforce for in in the workforce and what's involved. There's all this pressure on them to you know do well and and you know go on to uni. But in terms of what what eventually what eventuates what eventuates is a is a job. What that job actually means and how they're going to apply those skills. I think they've got very little understanding of it. Yeah, well, I mean, most teachers yeah. ha- haven't been in the workforce. And the workforce that they did hear about from their parents is a very different workforce mm. to what it is now. Um, and, it yeah, it changes so dramatically. I mean, I've been kind of out of that workplace for, um, what, 11 years now, 12 years. Yeah. And uh, I'd be interested to see what it would be like to work in in a in an, an office, office now. now. Yeah. I mean, we're we're lucky because at our school we use Google Docs and all this sort of stuff. We do a lot of collaborative stuff, and and those, you know, I can see how those um, skills are used in a lot of workplaces. Um, but yeah, I think there's a. There, I mean, this is the problem with the education system. Um, is we're very good at getting people ready for further education, mm. but do we really prepare them for the workplace? Yeah, yeah. Well, Jason, thank you very much. We might finish there. Yep. It's been very interesting to, to hear your um, your experience teaching at um, a Catholic girls' school. Mm. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. It's great to talk about it all. It's a lovely afternoon here on Joy 94.9. Mark, Michael and Raina with you here on Techno Gaze. Yeah. Uh, podcast Ahoy. <laughs> I love podcasts. <laughs> It's a great way, as as was just uh, said. Uh, it's it's a great way to just catch up on on what you've missed at your leisure. Yeah, yeah. and in your spare time, if you're on a long commute, mm. you should something to do. Yes, we just uh, heard, of course, Jason and Lisa uh, had a bit of a chat. Uh, uh, we uh, recorded that a few weeks ago, um, uh, talking about gender and uh, tech, and in particular, this is a focus more so on the education side of things, of course. Mm. I particularly liked his, um, well, I, 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 you know, took interest, I guess, in, in his point about the differences in gender that he observes in the classroom. Um, so, if, you know, the the way that you engage perhaps a, a girl in technology versus a boy is, is um, quite a lot different. And uh, the way that boys and girls approach it is, is so, so different. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's a... a don't know how easy it is to yeah, fix. Yeah, it, it, it's really, really chewy. And um, I think what I found really striking as well is is the part at the end where uh, Jason was honestly uh, not sure, or I, didn't, I don't think he said that he's not sure, but that schools are really good at preparing you for higher education, mm. but they're not really preparing you for what you're going to find out in the workplace. And that's another thing to solve entirely, isn't it? Yes, very, very much so. And it's very, very true. Mm. Well, would that be would that be up to the school? Or, you know, perhaps tertiary education should also prepare 
prepare you for that? Partially, but there are a lot of people that don't go on to tertiary education as well. Mm. I think that, because I went to a TAFE, and I think that TAFE did a really great job of preparing me for full-time work and for working in a, I mean, it was still obviously a teaching environment, but it wasn't, you know, quite as hands-off as uni. I was there from nine till five every day Mm. for the whole week. And, um, you know, so I suppose that was pretty good. It's not even just the time thing, but, you know, just in how things got done. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also particularly hard, I guess, from an educational point of view, in that the nature of the workforce is changing so much and so rapidly. So mm. it's you know it's hard to do, but something um, you know could be done and can be done because I know in terms of practical life skills, you do have children um, leaving high school, young adults leaving house, high school that don't know some of the basics. And you know, if I look, look at my daughter and some of the questions that she asks and mm. some of the concepts that she has no understanding of, and I think back to myself, and yep, I was in the same boat. Hmm. Now, something that I think is really cool um, that will help get kids of, uh, of any gender really involved in more computery stuff is this great story out of the UK. Yes. Now, back in, uh, back in the 80s, when, when I was a tiny girl, I mean, I wasn't in the UK, but um, the, uh, the BBC decided that it was part of their job to get people in the UK involved in, you know, computer literacy because they could see that it was a big deal and they came up with the BBC Micro, which is one of my still one of my favourite computers in the whole world. And um, they got BBC Micro computers organised with a company called Acorn and put them in schools and now they're doing it again. All over again, yeah. So there's, um, it's a new one called the BBC Micro colon bit Mm-hmm. will be given away for free to every Year 7 child in the UK. Slightly different configuration to the original yeah. BBC Micro. It's, it's a little smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually going to be a single board PC, 5 by 4 centimetres in uh, width and height. So it's t- smaller than the Raspberry Pi, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. And it'll include a micro USB port, uh, an, ed- an edge connector similar to the, um, the, uh, the Raspberry Pi, um, 32-bit ARM processor. It'll be powered by AAA batteries. So that's that's a uniqueness of this particular board. Often mm. those other small boards are uh, they don't um, they they don't have any power supply at all. In fact, you've got to plug it into a USB or so forth. Um, there'll be Bluetooth. There'll be an accelerometer and a compass, but no display but, adapter. But no display adapter. Wait, it's what? got a it's got a little grid of LEDs. Ah. Yeah. Um, it's got a couple I- of buttons on it as well. Yes. <laughs> but the g- good thing is it uses a, a version of Microsoft's web-based touch development platform. So it's going to be encouraging kids to you know, play with the software and rather than just pick up a smartphone and use it, it's going to be how do I write some code either in um, C++ or maybe JavaScript and make some of these lights blink on and off and, and other sorts of things. One of, the, mm. one of the key things for me in learning that I recall when I was a kid was to be able to replicate things that I saw in real life. So, for example, you know, you, how to replicate or how to make something work just like a traffic light system worked. That was one of my nerdy projects as a as a twelve year old. Um, <laughs> the other thing that uh, the the thing about this is that it's got the accelerometer and the uh, the compass built onto the machine, so oh. it you could in fact um, work you know recreate some of the apps that you see on uh, on your mobile phone. Mm, yeah, mm. um, perhaps with this type of tech. 
I think what a lot of people think of when they think, oh, let's get kids interested in coding is they think, oh, you know, we'll put them down in front of a keyboard and show them how to make games on a traditional computer or, or phone apps or whatever. I think what's really exciting about this is that this is going to encourage kids to um, program Internet of Things type things. Hmm. And that's pretty exciting because it really just sort of, you know, breaks you out of that mould of thinking about all sorts of development as being, you know, I'm going to make the next coolest iPhone app. Yeah. Yes. And it has the support of the BBC, so there'll be websites, you know, to take you through it. And because it's been distributed through schools, there's going to be school involvement. Um, it's mm. a great initiative. It's a really, really good initiative. Mm. Um, yeah. I wish That's I could, exciting. I wish I could be in the UK right now. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're in Year 7, you, <laughs> you'd get one. <laughs> or become a teacher. <laughs> yes. Now, um, <laughs> uh, going back to the women in tech theme... Um, there's, uh, there's, there was an article that came out this week, um, actually came out in The, the Guardian, um, mm. making the point about women being less uh, likely to be shown ads um, for high-paying jobs, according to Isn't a Google Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now, we, we all know that Google, um, if, if you allow it, and it's on by default, will start showing you targeted ads based on what it knows about you. Um, and in fact, I think we even talked about this last year on the show, is that you could go to a page and it says, Google thinks you're, you know, a male between the age of 35 and 42, to which I said, <laughs> nope. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it, it just, but it guesses that based on, you know, things that I, I appear to show an interest in. So, you know, I wonder how that happened. But it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's a group from uh, Carnegie Mellon who have sat down and done exactly sort of that. They've pretended to be uh, um, male and female job seekers and Google's done the old profile thing and to those that it thinks are men shows them coaching services for highly paid uh, job searching things. So, you know, trying to get into 200K plus jobs, uh, not so much for the women. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a catch twenty two. It's you know we we often talk about when you do your searches within you know the profile that Google knows about you and they filter up the things that you're most likely to look for. You stay inside your own world. If yeah. Google serves up based on a profile, then you're just reinforcing the same picture, the same status quo that we have today. Exactly. Exactly. I often wonder if I'm I'm in a bubble when it comes to particularly my I'm I'm pretty public about my political views, so particularly on Facebook. Um, much to the chagrin of a few people, including um, someone I went to dinner with last night, actually. He <laughs> um, was like, stop it, don't post. Anyway, uh, the point of that being that, you know, I, maybe I'm only seeing a lot of the stuff that is uh, related to me. So, you mm. know, uh, related to my interests or my political affiliations and therefore it, everything else is being masked out. That's the bubble effect. Mm. That's that's a big thing that people talk about, you know, in terms of how ideas spread around social circles now that we have social media. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Facebook doing all that sort of stuff where, you know, it thinks it knows better than you what you're going to be interested in. And sometimes it gets it right and oftentimes it gets it wrong. Mm. It's only as smart as a computer can be, right? Mm. Do you think that the bubble is growing because we are now interacting more electronically and we're perhaps finding more friends that way, friends of, you know, of the same ilk. Is that kind of shrinking the bubble, perhaps, <laughs> instead? Shrink, as, no, no, in terms of, you know, if, if, if you were meeting people the old-fashioned way, bumping into them in the street or whatever it may be, then you've got, it's more random as to there what the be, views are? You're saying there wouldn't be an immediate connection based on, um, on their political parties. You wouldn't be able to, like, you wouldn't yeah. see a little note or tag above them saying, you know, Liberal Party member right there. <laughs> Mark's a rabid whatever. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I know people who are of opposite uh, political opinions. Uh, as an example, um, and we have very good conversations. But there's yeah. only one of them. <laughs> yeah. Now, there used to be a few. They all disappeared for some reason. Now, with things like this, it's uh, it's really easy to blame Google uh, or to blame Facebook because they just sort of enable it so you can say that. But what, what often happens behind the scenes is that it's companies that are doing this, so they will say to themselves, I mean, this is something that I can do at my work now, is say, I would like to target women aged between 25 and 34 in Christchurch about this particular thing. Mm. And Facebook will let me do that, and Facebook won't stop me from doing that. So if I would like to, you know, be a bit of a discriminator myself and say, I'm only going to show my coaching services to men, um, then I guess Google isn't going to get in my way. So it's still a problem where you've got to look back at these companies and go, well, what are you doing? Um, mm. And I guess Facebook can be quite similar. Um, yeah. A bit and, annoying. And it's not only in advertising. It, it extends beyond that because then if the advertising mm. says oh this is this is this type of person what they do you see somebody else in a different situation and you think that oh well they can't do that and that's come out in a recent um, survey in women who are involved in science technology engineering mathematics mm. and they found that um, black and latina stem people in this in this industry are often been mistaken for janitors so stem being science tech engineering and mathematics, mathematics yep, yep. yep. <laughs> are being mistaken for janitors Wow. Gross. It is. It's, yeah, it's, it's really bad. And in particular that um, women of colour were probably subjected to more discrimination and racial stereotypes than anyone else. Mm. 66% of those interviewed in this particular study were, um, feel that they uh, faced a prove-it-again bias that requires them to provide more evidence for their research claims than uh, their male counterparts. So after you've got done proving that you're not actually the janitor and you're here to do some <laughs> science, you've got to prove that you do more science <laughs> or that, you, that you've got it right by basically, you know, trying to... God. Be better. Mm. Yeah. Maybe we should all live in a virtual world and have different avatars so it makes no difference and then you'd be treated on, you know, on your output <laughs> the way you should be. Yes. Maybe we should all just be humanless drones. That's no fun. Mm. Just fix it. Can we just fix it instead? I think that'd be easier. Fixing it is the better way to go. Yes, yes. Um, shall we move on to Switzerland? Um, Why not? <laughs> well, I don't know if we've got enough time to go to Switzerland, but okay. <laughs> just very, very briefly. We're, we're going to get our, um, our time machine working. No. Uh, Switzerland's postal service uh, seem to have come up with a, a new uh, way of delivering parcels. They are yes. now looking at using drones to uh, send deliveries out to people, um, mm. unmanned drones, of course, um, and uh, it looks like they're going to be doing that within another five years or so. Yeah. It's an interesting way to inject some new life into an old postal service. Are they going to beat Amazon to the punch, oh. is the question. I guess it depends if Amazon was already using drones in, in Switzerland. I mean, if they've beat Amazon to that. Um, th so they're testing it out at the moment, and um, they're, they're also thinking about using it for uh, dropping off supplies and things for people who are cut off, mm -hmm. which I think is a pretty cool way to, uh, to sort of start it out. Mm. And uh, once they've got it uh, nailed down, they're going to be um, uh, using it for post. Mm. Very good. I wonder if Australia Post would uh, consider the same thing here in Australia. I think we're at a uh, geographic disadvantage. <laughs> yeah. 
Because Switzerland, you know, it's, it's a small it's country. It's very yeah. densely packed people-wise compared to Australia. Mm. Although that would be a cool way to courier things across the city. That's true. In CBD areas would be good. One of the things mm. with Switzerland is it's because it's so hilly and stuff, you have to travel many kilometres to go much less sort of point-to-point up in the air. Does this mean drones are going to have to join us in the, in the lifts to go to the uh, level? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there'll be a special okay. drone lift. It's okay. Now, can they just hang around outside the window going ting, ting, ting on the glass? Hello? <laughs> yeah, just follow the lift up as we're going up inside. <laughs> now, this is Technogaze here on Joy 94.9. We've come to the end of the show. Uh, we will um, be able to wrap up a few things in just a few moments. Technogaze. Technogaze here. We're just about at the end of our allotted time slot. Uh, but do stay tuned tonight, of course, to join 94.9. We have Gary with the news in just a few moments. And straight after that, we'll have uh, uh, a unique uh, Saturday night. We'll begin with the dance pop mix of Neon Lights with John. Um, uh, Dick with a touch of pink is having a, a quick break, but we'll uh, continue the pop mix with uh, with uh, John's uh, view on it. Now, as we get to the end of the show, we always like to, uh, well, give you a little <laughs> light-hearted piece. This one uh, tickled our fancy. Yes. Heinz <laughs> ketchup and the case of the erroneous QR code. <laughs> <laughs> What's this about, Mark? Well... Uh, Heinz held a marketing campaign with a QR code on the uh, on the side of their bottle, going to a competition domain name that uh, would let you get a customised bottle. Of course, sounds good to me. Domain names mm. often expire, don't they? Well, they do when competitions finish. You know, mm. they probably stop. You know, they let it go. <laughs> this, they sure did. So, so <laughs> what happened to this particular domain name then? A certain company <laughs> that happened to run a porn business <laughs> used it, and some poor consumer in Germany decided he'd get a new, uh, try to get a new Heinz label <laughs> designed, and he got more than he bargained for. Mm. Mm. So he's now Heinz. Heinz, sorry, go on. I was just going to say he's complained via Facebook, and uh, Heinz has responded by promising not to release domain names and offered him a bottle of ketchup with his own design label, oddly enough. Yes, but the porn company offered him 12-month subscription, which probably was a little bit more generous. Indeed. That's all we have time for today. If you've missed any parts of the show or perhaps you're looking to listen to previous episodes, you can do so by joining... Joining to... Uh, you could actually connect to <laughs> joy.org.au slash technogaze. Mind off the Heinz ketchup. <laughs> Totally not there, honest. Gary Wilson's up next with the news. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Raina, for being here. Thanks. See ya. Bye-bye. Catch you next week. Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.